Well, uh, I can't help but, but love the psalm that we read during prayer time, Psalm 139. Uh, it's a beautiful psalm about where can I go from God. You know, no matter where I go, God finds me, God knows me fully, God can search me, you know everything. Uh, your ways are, are so much bigger than mine. And, and in the midst of that psalm is one of my favorite moments that's hard not to chuckle a little bit along with the psalmist. Uh, because there's a little bit of um, celebration of how great God is. And he says, like, how wonderful are ways? I, like, I know your works are wonderful. How do I know it? Look how wonderfully made I am. <laughs> he's looking at himself, he's like, God, you did good. You did really good, God. I know you are an awesome creator. Look at your creation. And there's a, a little bit of a celebration there that feels a little fun. And, and maybe we are in the midst of celebrating um, some of the wonders and marvels of what the human body can do as we have the Olympics running uh, in this season. And maybe you have your own favorite Olympic uh, kind of sport to follow. Uh, maybe it's the swimmers uh, and how fast they go or how long they can swim at those speeds or track and field or gymnasts. And, and you look at what people can do and you're like, wait, somebody can do that? Like I have I feel like I have arms and legs and I can, I can move around, but I don't think my body can, can move like that. Uh, and so some of us love to, to marvel and to watch the great beauty of what humans can do. Um, but the struggle is also that we know that we have limitations, that not all of us can uh, do the same thing. And so we all have different abilities, different challenges, different things that we wrestle with. And so um, today's question which uh, is a very honest question. Uh, somebody asked, if God made me perfect, then why do I have a disability? Uh, and there's other ways to frame that question. You know, if, if God's a wonderful creator, if God is a good creator, why do I experience this thing that doesn't feel good, that doesn't feel wonderful? Um, you know, does God make mistakes? I don't think God makes mistakes, and yet, why am I going through this pain, this problem? Uh, and so I think we can understand where this kind of question uh, can emerge from. Why, why, why am I created in this way, God? And so it's a, it's a challenge for all of us, because on the one hand, the body is marvelous. Uh, it's part of why um, we can be celebrating of how uh, vaccines work in the body, of how it taps into our natural processes and helps our bodies defense mechanisms uh, kind of get supercharged. Uh, if you've got a kid and they've fallen down all the time and getting scraped and cut up, it's amazing how the body heals itself. Uh, there's a lot of wonderful things about ourselves. Um, but we also struggle quite a bit. We have a lot of challenges. And some of those challenges are the ones that we, we kind of think of first, right? Uh, if you are, are deaf or blind or some sorts of disabilities that are more apparent to, to other people around you. Um, but there's other kinds of challenges we face. We face all sorts of things. Um, how about memory and the loss of memory? Whether that's at a young age and through traumatic injuries, or over time through things like Alzheimer's or dementia, of struggling with, God, why is memory fading? I wanna hold on to those memories. I wanna hold on to those things. In those beautiful moments, why are they fading? And sometimes the cruelty of like the painful memories. Why do I remember the painful things and the good things disappear? And so our memories fail us. 
And sometimes it's muscle control. Again, whether young or old, uh, as we lose control of our bodies, we lose control of our ability to move in the ways that we, we used to or that ways that we wished we could. Uh, what is it to lose um, the ability to digest things as we used to or as we wish we could? Uh, and stomach pains and, and what is it for our body to be able to uh, break down sugars or all sorts of things? What is it for us to lose um, our vision in a way that seems more subtle in today's age? Uh, for anyone in the room with glasses or wearing contacts like I am, uh, have you felt the pain of like, I wish I could see this? Um, there's quite a few mornings where, where my, my girls will say something to me of like, hey, how does this look? Or, or can you look at this, Daddy? And it's like, hold on, because I can't see anything yet. Uh, unless it's right here, uh, it's not going to be seen. Um, there's all sorts of ways in which we struggle. Uh, allergies is one of the ones on my list. <laughs> Uh, I wish I could just walk in the trees or the grasses without having, you know, breaking out and uh, maybe asthma starting, things like that. Uh, and the different times of year where you remember uh, how our bodies react to this climate around us. Uh, there's people who face all sorts of challenges, not just old, young and old. Uh, people who, who don't feel like their bodies even fit them. They don't feel like their body matches who they are. And all of this wrestling around who we are and our bodies and ourselves might lead you to wonder and to ask God, why did you make me this way? Why did you make us this way? What's going on? And this question uh, is, I think, seen throughout the Bible. You can see different moments where this question pops up. Um, particularly, you would imagine Job, right? Uh, Job, in Job's story, they're like, hey, take away his family or take away his possessions. Uh, but you know what will really get him? If you take away his health, then he will curse you, God. Say, you aren't a good God if you've taken my health away. And this, this dilemma of what is it to still believe in God, still love God in the midst of physical ailments is a very real one. And so I, I want to just give you um, some, some background, some kind of spectrums of how to kind of go about this before we get into our text. Uh, I'll say... One challenge that comes up is sometimes there's like an easy out answer that we hope to get a just, if I can get a simple answer to just alleviate the tensions, a lot of times people want to take that. Uh, and so the easy out answer is usually something about uh, humans are to blame for it, right? And um, you know, there's times in our lives about like people who make accidents and mistakes and it's human fault, um, but we want to blame all failings and problems on humanity. And the Bible sometimes goes this route, uh, that we are the ones to blame. Sometimes it goes into an angelic route and other kinds of things. Uh, but we often default to it's all humans' fault. But what's kind of weird on that front is, you know, if you look at the fossil record, it's literally a record of, of death that precedes us. And so death has been a part of the natural cycle of things for a long time. Uh, there's been challenges for a long time. <laughs> And so it's somewhat built in that, that creation is, is not looking quite how we would hope it to look. And that gives us some tensions to wrestle with. And so we, we wonder, well, God, where are you in the midst of all this dying and, and all of this body's failing? God, where are you? And so I'd say that there's two major theological answers people give for this. Of what do you say to God in the midst of human frailty? On the one hand, 
there's a looking for God to fix something. God, fix me, fix my loved one, fix the situation. God, just change it because it's broken and it's falling apart. Where are you, God? Fix it. And that is completely understandable. Why would you have that kind of feeling? Because you, you feel pain and you're longing for transformation, for change. And so you hope in new creation. You hope in what God is doing and that God is going to shape things into a better world, a better tomorrow. God, fix it. God, you're the healer. You Change this. There's also another side to that question, though, where some people say, my, my frailty is a part of who I am. Like, I wouldn't be me without these limitations and these challenges. And so if you, if you want to say that, like, my health problem is, is just a problem, and I'm just something to be fixed or solved, then you're going to miss who I am. And this beautiful person exists in the midst of those challenges. And so for some people in disability kind of theology, uh, they're less saying, I want fixing, but I want to celebrate who I am in the midst of these challenges and these limitations. And so it's pointing at the conundrum that we're in, that we have uh, a lot of pain, a lot of challenges, but what do we hope God is doing in the midst of it? How do we treat people in the midst of it? Uh, is, is a difficult thing to, to move around. And so you might go to somebody who's uh, struggling with some sort of uh, physical impairment, and you might uh, have one of those vantage points. Uh, isn't it so good that you, you, you have this experience, this made who you are? Uh, but they might not feel that way. <laughs> they might say, I want this to be solved. I, I want to be done with this. Uh, if you want to think about afterlife, like, I don't want to take this with me in the afterlife. I want to run and jump and remember everything, and I want to eat the best foods. And so you, you might have come at a wrong angle for them. But you might meet the other person who's struggling uh, through whatever limitation it is, and you say, don't worry, God's going to take care of you. You know, you're going to leap out of that situation. You're going to be healed. You're going to... And they might resent that a little bit. because They're saying, That's, this is who God made me. I am valuable. I don't need to be different to have life, to be worthy. And so we live in the tension between those two kinds of perspectives. And so we're not going to resolve that. You're going to have to navigate that in your own life and, and caring for those around you, of being mindful of, of what what somebody is kind of hoping God is doing in their midst. Uh, and one of my favorite things in the Gospels is there's a story where John, in the Gospel of John where Jesus shows up and he asks the person, like, do you want to be healed? And just asking that instead of assuming, of course I want to be healed. Uh, and so take a wisdom into the world in which you think for yourself or for others around you about um, where's God in the midst of, of human frailty? So I want to read a story today, uh, probably one of the classic stories about Jesus and uh, healing and what is God's kind of perspective and situation in it. Uh, we're going to read from John chapter 9. And this text is really a whole chapter long, uh, and we're not going to read all of that out loud today, but we're going to read this first section 
uh, where the kind of miracle story happens. And we'll spend some moments reflecting on this together. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground. He made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And then he went and washed and came back able to see. The rest of the chapter is a lot of drama around people responding and reacting uh, to this story about this man. And so when we start out on this story, we start out encountering an ancient view of the body and an ancient view of God. They see a man who is born blind, and the disciples give him a bad question. Maybe you've had a bad question invited of you where there's no good answer to it. It doesn't feel like they've, they've, they've led you astray with the framing. They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? So they've given an either-or option. If somebody invites you to an either-or option, unless it's food, uh, you might resist the either-or and say, I don't, why are we doing an either-or here? Uh, maybe there's some better answers beyond the either-or. If it's food, get your answer. Go just get some food. Uh, as I imagine all the, the spousal conversations around uh, dinner plans. Uh, but, but the disciples, clearly, somebody sinned. That's their assumption, right? Somebody sinned for this man to be born this way. Because this isn't how God looks. This isn't how God creates. Uh, this is different. So somebody has messed something up. Was it him or his parents? And that's the ancient conception for most ancient religions. Because if you did good things, God blessed you. If you do bad things, God curses you. And it's just super easy to see the world that way. And it makes it easy if you're in power because why am I in power? I must have deserved it. Why are you not in power? You must not deserve it. Uh, and it's easy to keep the world the way things are. And so there are elements where you could take that theology into uh, Scripture. Um, when you have commandments, like the covenant of Israel, do these things and I will bless you. If you violate this covenant, here are the curses that are coming. It's the ancient world's view of who God is. And what's beautiful about that story is they immediately fail it, and they think God is the God who's going to destroy them and start over, but that's not who God is. God has forgiveness and mercy, and, and it's not so easy. We talked about Job earlier. It's not so easy to just say, if you're having bad experiences, you deserved it. Uh, Job is, keeps pleading, and his friends keep saying, you did something. You better confess. What did you do? And the disciples have that same vantage point. Jesus, you know who sinned? Like somebody sinned here. And it's one thing to think about this as a debate, but like what is it to be a person who everyone assumes you or your family or somebody you're close to is messed up? And you deserve whatever bad things come your way. 
That's not a pleasant world to live into, where the assumption is you failed or somebody close to you, and the disciples, that's, that's their vantage point. And so they ask him that. And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. And so he refuses their either-or option. And what's beautiful is, is he says, this man who you're discounting as having no value, as being sinful, as unrighteous, as deserving this health problem, this man is someone who God's going to work through. Because you're like, oh, here's the unclean person. Here's the less than person. What's their value in this world? What, what are you worth? You say, hey, you think he's sinned. He hasn't sinned. His parents didn't sin. God's going to reveal God's glory through this person. And it's not simply because he's going to be healed later. Because I think that still just falls prey into, if you're blessed, God loves you. If you're cursed, God hates you. You know, like, it's not simply that he's going to be healed. That's the reason that God is working through him. But you need to realize that this person that you're discounting, that's outside of the bounds of what you think is right, that's the person who God's going to speak through. That's the person who God's going to reveal God's self through. So you think they're on the outside and they're on the inside, and you're on the outside, and you've got to see it. And so he says, hey, God's, God's glory, God's works are going to be revealed in him. And he talks about all of this light and darkness, and it kind of feels a little bit weird and out of place. And John talks about light and darkness quite a bit. Um, but you might be like, why is he talking about God's work and light and darkness? And next thing you know, Jesus is spitting on the ground. And you're like, this is kind of weird. And he's putting the, that mud that he's taken from his spit, and he's rubbing it on his eyes. And you're like, I don't know if that meets health code, you know. Um, it's a little weird. <laughs> but there's this big allusion to creation in the beginning let there be light, light and darkness. God in Genesis 2, forming man out of the clay. And it's like God stepping down and like taking that clay and, and still continuing to shape this man. And it's a beautiful image. And he's, he's not done with his works. And I think that's one of the things that we struggle with. Most of us put the category of God as creator as a past tense. God created, and it's like done. And so, like, God set things into a certain way, and it just needs to maintain that thing. It's a lot harder to realize, like, God is continually creating. God is continually bringing things about. God is continually working. And so when God created you, or when God created this man, God didn't just create you in the past, and he just set you on a trajectory, but God is continually shaping you, continually creating you into who God is making you into being. And so... Who is this man in the story? And because we don't have a name, we just say like the man who was born blind, uh, which feels a little bit, uh, you know, dismissive. Like there's other aspects of who this person is. This man who was reshaped. He's not just the man who was born blind. That's not all of his story. Like he continues to change. He continues to grow, to develop, to be matured into who God would have him be. And so, like, to pick one moment, like, this is the only moment of who this person is, um, is less than of that identity. Uh, but in your own life, you might idealize a certain moment of your life, like, that's who I am. But you're actually more than that. You're, you're the fullness of you. You're every moment of you. 
Uh, and think about God kind of in time, God experiencing all things and God being in the past, the present, the future. Like you are who you are because God continues to grow and continues to sustain, continues to build you into who you are. And so all of you, uh, the baby version, the older version, all of the steps in between, that's, that's all you. And this man was in the process of being created still. And we're all still in that process. And so there's a beauty in that. And so sometimes I think we, we struggle because we don't... I appreciate that, Brentley. Sometimes we struggle because we don't... Um, we don't like change. Like, that's like a natural thing about humans. We struggle with it, right? It's hard. You always like the same restaurant they close. It messes with your, uh, your eating schedule. It messes with your mind. Um, it's hard for us to let go of some aspects of ourselves, to let go of some things and say, God, continue to shape me. Uh, and if you remember earlier this year, Brian, uh, the region from ABC Michigan, he came and he talked about um, being you know, a, a first-year Christian for 30, 50, 70 years of like, we kind of like who we became and we just want to stay there. And sometimes we have people in our lives that we think of the same way. Uh, I think if you move away from home, maybe you'll experience this, that when you come back, people assume that you're that person still. And they assume you have the same likes and interests or um, same jokes or whatever it is. But you you change over time. And it's not a bad thing. Um, There's many good things that we might change and grow into. Uh, and so we might hold people in our, in our lives up of like, I, I love this person. I just want them to stay the same. And we're kind of like resisting God's creative power that they might still be growing and developing into something new. And you think about um, what is it to hold on to creation and not allow God to continue to expand and continue to grow it? And so uh, I might just encourage you to think about how, how can I continue to think about God continuing creation, not just in the past? And so if there's a person in your life that you're struggling to love them in this next stage, maybe as a parent with kids growing up and they hit new stages, you're like, oh man, those, those terrible twos. I sure like the one-year-old self. Or those teenage years, it's so tough. Or middle school years. Or Like what is it to love what God is creating in somebody? To not give up on that person or God in the midst of that. And so this man gets the mud healing from Jesus. This isn't the only time we get this kind of image. Uh, one of my favorite, let's call it weird stories of the Bible, is in Mark chapter 8. Jesus does the same kind of healing with a mud thing, spitting on the saliva on the ground, making some mud, because I'm imagining in the desert wilderness, it's not easy to make mud. Um, and so he makes the mud, and he, he goes to a man who is blind rubs it on his eyes, uh, and then he asks the man, what do you see? And it's like Jesus is in like this eye appointment situation. Because the man looks out and goes, well, I see people, but they kind of look like they're walking trees. Which is a beautiful image. It's one of my favorite little quirky images of the Gospels. Where Jesus goes to heal a man, and it doesn't seem to quite take immediately. And some of us really struggle with that kind of image. Like, wait, did he fail this healing miracle? Like, he tried it. He said, hey, how is it looking? And he's like, well, um, the prescription's not quite right. 
And maybe you've had that experience where you've gotten glasses and they're like, how is it? You're like, I think I'm supposed to really like these glasses, but something is a little bit weird. And I had a prescription in the last year or so. I put them on and it felt like I had vertigo where I was like, something is off. I don't know what you've done wrong, but I, I don't feel normal with these glasses on. And this guy in the story is like, hey, Jesus, people are kind of looking like walking trees. They're like ants from the Lord of the Rings or something. Something's weird here. And so then Jesus goes down, does it again, puts it back on his eyes, and then he sees normal. And as is characteristic of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tells him, don't tell anybody and go about your way. And so we don't like to think about healing being a long process or not being an immediate thing. We don't like to think about creation being a process of of God still making, still building. Uh, We always want the quicker fix. Like, what is it to trust and to wait and to rest in God's continual creation? And so that man gets healed in this story. That's not everybody's story, but this guy's story was, was getting healed. And the reaction is very mixed. Uh, the Pharisees in the story are a little bit uneasy because they're not big fans of Jesus, you know, spoiler. And so they're like, wait, what happened here? And they're like, they're asking him multiple times, what happened here? Who did this? How did he do this? And the man's like giving them straight answers and they come back for the same questions. And he's like, you must really want to be Jesus' disciple. You keep asking all sorts of questions about them. And they don't like that. But the, the Pharisees in the story feel like the disciples did at the beginning. They know this man must have done something wrong. What on earth is happening that he can now see? Like something is violating things. We don't think God healed this person. How could God have healed? Like, of course they deserved it. And they're confused and they don't know how to register the new data. And so they keep going back and forth. And Jesus has a very powerful ending to the story where he talks about blindness from a different vantage point. So I'm going to read kind of from the end of John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Jesus, like, he hears that they had driven the man out. So the people don't know how to come to grips with this man's new situation and that he's actually an insider to God. He's not being excluded or pushed out. So they push him out. And when he had been driven out, Jesus goes and finds the guy again. And he says, hey, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he goes, who is he? What are you talking about? And and so he goes on, tell me so that I may believe in him. Because the man's like, I know Jesus, uh, something is going on with him. I'm open for anything now. Uh, the other people don't know what to do with it, and they, don't, they doubt, they, they push it down. But he says, hey, tell me what, and I'll believe it. And Jesus said to him, you've seen him. The one speaking to you is he. And the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, I came into the world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and that those who do see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, surely we are not blind, are we? I think it's okay to understand that there's a little bit of comedy happening. It's sad comedy. But the author knows the irony of this question being asked. Surely we're not blind, are we? And Jesus said to him, if you were blind, you would not have sin, but now that you say we see, your sin remains. 
um, comes back to sin again. But this way of looking at the world is not easy. You think you understand how the world works, you're not actually seeing it from God's vantage point. And so it's a warning for those who feel like, of course I'm better. Of course I've got things figured out, I'm right, and this person is on the edges of society and the edges of God. Anytime we feel like we know exactly who's in and out from, with God is a reminder to be careful because God continually says to be, you know, to be wary of making that kind of judgment, that God, God sees, God loves, God has mercy. Uh, the people that you thought were on the outside that were blind, they actually can see, and you can't see it. And so uh, it's, a, it's a reminder for us, anytime we feel like we've got our situation better than somebody else, is we feel like we've puffed ourselves up. Uh, and not to assume that because someone has certain struggles or challenges that their life is of, of less quality or of less value, and that ours must be better. Uh, but that doesn't work that way. Uh, God sees everybody. God can search and know all things. And we have to be able to kind of re-examine our own vision, our own vision for others, our own vision of God. And so we can take some warning from the Pharisees. Uh, in the story, it feels like the Pharisees are just going to be counted out. And then you've got to be careful about that same feeling that you'll be like what they were doing in the story. Uh, but the disciples and Pharisees struggled with the same thing. We know the disciples seem to have changed and moved on from that at some point. So there's hope for all of us who who have spiritual blindness and blind spots. Uh, blind spots of, of what God is doing in the world. And so I encourage you to, to not, not see people as separate and cut off, but to figure out how we are all one body, one humanity, one, one church, see our relationship to one another. You know, we have a lot of these labels about certain kinds of disabilities. But for everyone who doesn't die young of instantaneous kind of accident death, we all struggle with bodies failing us. We all struggle with, with some sort of limitation. We're all in this kind of human frailty game together. And not alone. We're in that frailty with the God who would humble himself and take on a cross. There's a beauty of, of Jesus walking into uh, the disciples' rooms and offering his wounds, his scars, and saying, hey, touch, feel, like, I get it. And so whatever pain you're going through, uh, know that God also understands that as well. God's not distant and far off, but is very close. And so if you are in a space where you feel like you're an outsider, if you feel like you're cut off, like you're thought of as different and other and, and unclean, what is it to see that your life has value, that you matter? Even if other people don't see it, God sees it. And that's a beautiful message. If you've ever felt alone, that you matter. And when you think about the proteins that make us up, the atoms, the electrons, the neutrons, somehow... All of these things have combined in a way that our lives matter, that we are a part of God's work, that God's glory happens even through us. And so you matter, and you belong. And what is it 
to not only know that you matter, but to get to a place of acceptance about that God's work continues. That God still has something new to create in you. That God has still has something more to mold in you. And that while you matter, you valued, you are loved as you are, uh, that doesn't mean that creation has stopped right there. And so it doesn't matter if you're a, a newborn or a hundred years old, God has something to do in you. And so what is it to hope that God is still forming something in you? What is it to hope to imagine God uh, taking the ground around you, watering it, turning it into mud, and reshaping like clay? Like, what is it to say yes to God's continual creation, continual transformation? And so I wanted to invite you into that story, into this life, one that, that is loved and continues to be shaped by God. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, there's, there's nothing that we've done to deserve uh, your love or blessings. Lord, we, we thank you that your love is unconditional, that you are good, and that your work continues. Lord, we ask that you might continue to shape our hearts so that we might see others with love, that no matter what their outside looks like, no matter what their uh, abilities are, that we might see that we are all equal in your sight. Lord, we ask that you might help us to not only see others differently, but see ourselves differently. Lord, help us to see you with us in the pain. That when we grieve loss, when we grieve failings and, and limitations, Help us to see you present in the midst of that and not hiding and separate from it. Lord, help us to be people who bring your kind of love, your kind of vision for the world into our everyday lives. Lord, let the, the neighbors, the family members, the coworkers, the friends that we experience, experience a kind of people that point to your love and your worth and your value. Let us not, Lord, think that we are better than, uh, but give us a humble heart. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.